I remember very well the day that I realized that I needed these. I remember the location. I was subbing for Mrs. Sukstorf's sixth grade classroom. I remember where I was standing. I was up in front of the room, behind her movable podium, speaking to the students about the new spelling unit they were to begin, where all the words ended with the letters A-G-E, you know, like baggage, garbage, garage, postage, message, and the like. And as was the custom when introducing a new set of words, it seemed wise to first pronounce the word and then just give a brief description of what the word meant and how it could be used. You know, garage, the place where you park your car. Postage, using a stamp when you want to send a letter. Message, when you want to give someone some information. And then I read the next word, bondage. And immediately, a boy in the back of the classroom, oh, Mr. Blaine, Mr. Blaine, <laughs> the Johnny of the class. I had been warned about that student ahead of time and was made aware that he was often a student who needed corrections, redirections, some shh. And in an utterly surprising and wholly unrelated coincidence, I realized that that student's desk was strategically placed right where my desk used to be when I was in school. <laughs> right next to the teachers. Anyway, again I repeated the word bondage, and his hand continued to wave, but not wanting to give him the opportunity to hijack the class by giving them his whatever definition of bondage, which I was sure would not be appropriate, I utilized the time-tested tactic of ignore and move on. So I started to speak about how bondage might be like, you know, you're, you get arrested and maybe you're put in jail. You're a captive. You, you can't free yourself. And he's still back there going, Mr. Blaine, Mr. Blaine, which had the time-tested result of persisting and wearing down the teacher. And so I called on him. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, Mr. Blaine, I think the word is bandage. And so it was. <laughs> Bandage, you know, you might get a cut or a scrape, <laughs> and you place it over the wound to aid in the healing process. But for this sermon, I think the word bondage will help to clarify what is happening in this passage from Mark when Jesus is rejected by his own. They're questioning and questions about him were really just veiled imprisonments that they found themselves in. Their definition of Jesus was misread and misstated, bonded to old notions of what could be. 
shackled to expectations of what should and shouldn't be. And what shouldn't be, apparently, is Jesus. Now, it's the second time that he's returned to his hometown. And it's the second time he's been rejected. Having just healed the woman who hemorrhaged for 12 years, having restored Jairus' daughter to her family, he is now being questioned by his own. And probably the most poignant question of all is this one. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? You see, in Jesus' time, if you want to question someone's authority, if you want to question their legitimacy, you refer to them as the son of their mother. Where and who is this father is really what's being pandered by the villagers. In other words, the whole of Jesus' birth narrative is being mockingly used to silence him. And the hardest truth to swallow is that it works. Mark writes that Jesus could do no deed of power there, presenting us with the uncomfortable reality that their bondage to small-mindedness, their desire to preserve the status quo, their unwillingness to accept Jesus, that Jesus might really be the prophet, the Messiah come to save, they find themselves in spiritual poverty and the consequences are real. In their unbelief, they block him. They hinder Jesus' ability to do the healing work that he desires to do among them. And so think about the implication for us in this. For Mark has presented us with a hometown reality of Jesus' ministry. Our belief and our unbelief matters. In the mystery of God's economy, we are called to participate with Jesus so that transformational healing can take place among us. And our refusal to do so has a real impact on our world, and Jesus is working in it. So the hard questions for us. In what ways do we behave and react like Jesus' town folk? In what ways do we hinder and block the work that he has set out to do? In what ways have we acted like we know him best, that he is on our familiar turf, and therefore we act as if we're the only ones who know what ought and ought not to be done or said, that we think we see so clearly that we are unwilling to follow him into potentially uncomfortable territory. And then think about this too. Jesus offended his hometown folks. When was the last time he offended you? When was the last time you actually changed your behavior or your views based on what Jesus taught rather than on how you think Jesus should have taught. When was the last time you became aware of this unsettling truth? That if you act and live as if God hates the exact same things that you hate, 
you know you've joined the provincial hometown folk because you've reduced God to fit into your world and your worldview. I don't know if there is a last time for us because we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against God and God's work among us by thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And for many of us, we haven't even loved ourselves. And the truth of the gospel is that there is dust on the threshold of our lives. When we lock our hearts and doors against the new ways that God in Christ is calling us to serve in this world, the scandal is that the homegrown carpenter with a lowly birth narrative transcended the ways that his own people thought he ought to conduct himself. But he did not long remain constrained by their rejection, nor does he by ours. This hometown prophet who sometimes calls us into uncomfortable truths does not do so on some farewell tour. Rather, he shows up in our lives again and again like he showed up in his hometown desiring to heal and teach. In other words, the good news of the gospel in Christ is that he rejects our rejection of him and frees us from the shackles that bind and limit us. He tears off the bandage with which we've covered up our own woundedness and exposes us to the only healing that isn't defined or constrained by our own thoughts or deeds. No handcuffs, only nails. No prison, only a cross. No release, only a resurrection. No condemnation, only salvation. No bondage, only freedom. Freedom to be who we were created to be, the ones who open wide the doors of our hearts and welcome the one who welcomes us, the one who said, this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. This is me for you. Amen.